0: Well, good morning. As you can see behind me, our title today is, It's Personal. And so I thought before I ask you to get personal, maybe I would get a little personal with you. Today is a very special day for me. Today, on this very day, 12 years ago, I pulled the biggest heist ever. I tricked a woman into spending her life with me. <laughs> Stacy Schaefer agreed to spend her life with me. This is our anniversary 12 years ago. That's us way back when. She has been such a support to me. I wouldn't be the man that I am today. I wouldn't be able to do the things that I do if it wasn't for all of the support that she does. She's behind the scenes most of the time. She's in the back uh, playing the bass most Sundays, and I'm a big fan. I like her a lot. So today we're talking about how to make it personal. Uh, I remember when I was young, I grew up in a little bitty church, and in our church there was a a thing called Wednesday night discipleship. And so the deacons would teach the adults, and the kids were there. Uh, There was nothing for us, but we were there, and uh, it was our obligation to be there, and there was a lady named Laura Moody who saw this group of kids, and I don't know if it was because she didn't want us to destroy the church or if it was because she took an interest in us, but either way, Laura Moody started spending time with us, and I remember that Laura had a lot of candy. I remember that Laura had VeggieTales and Carmen music videos. I don't know if you've ever seen a Carmen music video, but you need to check that out on YouTube right now. It was amazing. Uh, It was amazingly awful. They were bad. But it was more fun than sitting staring at a wall. But most of all, I remember that from time to time, Laura would load up this kind of ragtag group of kids into her minivan. That tells you how many of us there were, enough that could fit in the minivan. And we'd drive down the block to 7-Eleven, and she would buy us Slurpees. And I just remember Laura Moody loved me, and I loved getting to spend time with her. And when she would talk to me about Jesus, I listened because she had bought me a Slurpee, and the Slurpee was in my mouth, and so I couldn't talk. I would listen to Laura. Uh, As time went on, you know, our little bitty church— we couldn't afford, we didn't have the resources to send a group to camp. We have a group of middle schoolers right now who are on the road back from Warner Camp, uh, but we didn't get the opportunity to do those kind of things when I was a youth. And so my mom heard about church camp. She heard about youth camp. And so she found a larger church that was going and she signed me up to go. And now now that I'm a next-gen pastor and I work with students, a lot of times students who like go to this church— And know the people from this church are nervous about going to camp. And I have empathy, but I don't have any sympathy. Because my mom kicked me out of our van and said, get on this church van with a bunch of strangers you've never met before. And I'll see you in a week. Not a weekend. I'll see you in a week. I hope you survive. And so I didn't know any of these people. And we stopped at Wendy's. I still didn't really know people. I was like young and awkward like everybody is when you're that age. So we stop at Wendy's and I get my food and I go and sit by myself because I don't know anybody and I'm too shy to talk to anybody. And this scary looking dude comes over and sits across from me. I'm like, I don't know, 12, 13. And this guy is a grown man in his 40s. He's bald, which is a little intimidating. He's got this goatee, which is kind of scary. Uh, And so I base my life on him, I think. Uh, But he sits down across from me and he looks me in the eyes and he says, are you Tony? And I go, I don't know if I should answer this correctly or not. I don't know. It depends. Why are you asking? I said, I just said, yeah. And he said, I want you to know something. I love you which is a weird thing to say to a stranger. That's very strange. (laughs) But his name was Eric, and he was my small group leader for the week, and he was just kind of a goofy guy. And, uh, and man, he made sure that I had a great time that week. He made sure that I made friends, and he actually stuck with our group for many years. He eventually went on into ministry and was called to be a pastor. Uh, And I really looked up to Eric, but a lot of it started with that moment. He chose to take time out to look me in the eye and tell me that he cared about me. Uh, We eventually ended up joining that church. Uh, I connected with that youth group, and my parents decided that we wanted to worship together, and so they brought our whole family to Friendship Baptist Church down in Lincoln Park. And every week, every Tuesday, a man named Aaron showed up. He was our small group leader. And looking back, like, I know that guy's got treasure in heaven because us, uh, the group of guys that he had to deal with, the things that we put him through, (laughs) uh, I I just, I'm amazed that he put up with us. Uh, But Aaron did something really exceptional He looked at us and he believed in us. He believed that this group of guys not only could learn about God, but that we could actually teach each other. And so he would bring resources and books. Uh, One day he would, he brought this big giant book called The Strong's Exhaustive Concordance and he gave it to me. And if you know what that is, it's a reference book about Hebrew and Greek and it has every word in the Bible mapped out. And he gave that to me and he gave me a verse and he said, take this verse, look it up in this book, come back next week and tell us what it means. He believed that I could teach people about God. And that was really the first opportunity that I had to teach from the scriptures. Aaron made an impact on my life. All of these people had a significant impact on my life. And if you're a Christ follower today, I'm sure that you can look back and you can reference and you can think of and remember the people that had an impact in your life. And I bet those people had a personal relationship with you. I bet those people connected With you personally. I listen to a lot of preachers online, but there are none of them that I would point to and say, that person really has changed my life. It's the people that took the time to make it personal with me that really impacted my life. But making it personal is difficult, it's challenging, it's hard to do. You know, all of us probably around middle school, we develop some habits. It's around middle school that we start figuring out which things are appropriate. And which things are inappropriate. That's why middle school is so much fun. You never know what they're going to do. They're kind of figuring it out. And around that age, we figure out some habits to get through life. And we kind of develop this way that I call the shallow way. You know, and shallow is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it's important to be shallow sometimes. You know, there are times when people will ask you a question and it's not actually appropriate to answer that question in its completeness. You know, when your wife says, how do I look? You need to answer on a surface level. Sometimes when people say, How are you doing? you probably shouldn't really give them the full answer. You know, you need to have some shallow habits sometimes. You know, being shallow sometimes can offer relief, but being shallow all the time can leave us feeling empty. You know, being shallow sometimes is polite, but being shallow all the time leads us to feel lonely. And so it's okay to be shallow. It's just not okay to always be shallow. And so in the church, we would say, we're not shallow. We don't want to be shallow. As a matter of fact, we want to be the opposite of shallow. So what is the opposite of shallow? Literally, the opposite of shallow is is deep. But what does deep mean? I mean, is it deep into our theology? Is it deep into history is it deep into first century palestinian architecture is is it deep in our worship is it deep in the music i think it's deep in the music i think we need more bass and then the music will be deeper that's what we need <laughs> she's nodding along she agrees but i think a lot of times if we're honest deep can just be a mask deep can be a mask for another way to be shallow let's keep it all in our heads And let's not actually connect. We're going to talk really deeply about maybe some historical things, but we're not actually going to talk about how it applies to our lives. We're not actually going to pick on those things. I think really the opposite of shallow is not so much deep. I think it's personal. I think it's personal. And see, personal is difficult. Shallow is easy. Personal is is challenging. You see, shallow is fast. It's quick. It's a quick answer. Personal takes time. Shallow is easy. We can develop some habits, but personal is complicated. We never know where it's going to go if we really break that seal and really answer that question. You know, shallow is safe. But personal is risky. We don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot of risk when you invest in somebody's life. Shallow can be dismissive, but personal is honest. Shallow is familiar. We're used to it, but personal is unpredictable. Shallow can cost money. We can come and just give in the plate, but personal actually costs me. I have to give myself. You see, shallow religion for young people often results in disillusionment. That's my story. Some of the things that I was exposed to when I was young, some of the religion that I saw was very, very shallow. And when I looked further to try to find out what's behind this, you know, I I know a lot of the answers, I've heard a lot of words, but what's really underneath that? I found that there wasn't much underneath that and I became disillusioned with faith. You know, is there really anything here? Is there really any purposes? Does it really matter? You know, the result of a shallow faith is disillusionment, but the result of a personal faith and a personal relationship with God, the result of personal is hope. You know, I don't think that it's any coincidence that Jesus chose to come to earth in a time that was marked by impersonal religion. The Sadducees and the Pharisees had perfected the Jewish religion. They had taken the laws and expanded them. They had created a whole industry around honoring God in a way that didn't upset the Romans, in a way that was just acceptable. They had come up with a whole way of honoring God in a way that didn't actually have a personal connection with God or with each other. I think Jesus chose to come in that time to make a contrast. You know, God didn't just stand back and speak to humanity, but Jesus became a human. Jesus became a human to show humans how to love God up close and personal. Jesus became a human to show humans how to love God. He came to earth to show us how he loved us. He came to earth to show us how to love him. But even more than that, he came to earth to show us how to love each other. As Jesus prepared to go to the cross, he said, a new commandment I give you. You are to love one another as I have loved you. That that is monumental. That's a huge thing. It's a turning point in our faith. It means that we don't just read the red letters of what Jesus said. We don't just listen to what he told us. But as a matter of fact, we have to look at his example and we have to live the way that he lived. He came to show us how to love other people. And I think it's because Jesus didn't see humans the way the average human sees humans. It can be so easy to make a quick judgment about somebody. And I confess, I've seen a human being coming towards me and thought, here comes trouble. You may have had that situation. You can take one look at somebody and you can make an assumption about their entire life and you can be really dismissive to them and you can decide, okay, I need to put on the shallow because I need to figure out how to get out of this situation. But Jesus never got so busy trying to save the world that he didn't stop to save an individual person. Uh, Today, we're going to look at a famous story from the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles, it's going to be in Luke chapter 19. You may have heard this story before. Luke 19 is pretty far In the book of Luke, it's pretty far in the story. Jesus is getting close to the cross. As a matter of fact, he's already set his face towards Jerusalem. And every time he goes to Jerusalem, they try to kill him. And so his disciples have said, hey, let's quit going to Jerusalem because I think you might get killed. But Jesus has set his face. He's on his way. He's going to save the world. And he passes through this city called Jericho. And as he was passing through the city called Jericho, there was a man named Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. That phrase doesn't mean a lot to us, but in context, at the time, people would have been able to tell a lot about Zacchaeus just from that little phrase. His name was Zacchaeus. He was a Jewish guy. He was supposed to be part of the nation of Israel, but he was a chief tax collector, and the taxes would not have gone to the nation of Israel. The taxes would have gone to Rome. Because the nation of Israel was occupied by Rome, and nobody likes to be occupied. No nation ever likes to be occupied, but they were occupied. And so that money would not have gone to building up the nation. It wouldn't have gone to the community. That money would have gone to the enemy. And so Zacchaeus was a tax collector working for the enemy. He was a traitor to his people, and he was not just a tax collector, but he was a chief. So he was actually teaching other people how to be traitors to their country, to their nation, to their God. And he was rich. You're not supposed to be rich when you're a public servant. You're not supposed to get rich on that kind of a salary. But he was rich because he was stealing. He was stealing and he was teaching other people to steal. See, the people around Zacchaeus would have looked at Zacchaeus and saw a man who was motivated by greed. They would have seen a man who would do anything to get ahead for himself. They would have seen a man who had hurt their community. They would have seen a man who maybe had even hurt them personally. They would have despised Zacchaeus and we can tell that the story says that he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd and so he climbed a tree because he was short in stature and I think that's true I think that he climbed the tree because he was short in stature but I think he may have climbed the tree to get away from the crowd I think for a man like Zacchaeus it would have been very uncomfortable to stand in a crowd I think the way Zacchaeus dressed and the way Zacchaeus carried himself would have signaled to the people around him who he was and what he was about. And I think it would have been very uncomfortable for Zacchaeus to be around those people. But Jesus didn't see Zacchaeus the way that the crowd saw Zacchaeus. So when Jesus looked at Zacchaeus, he saw a man with intrinsic worth and value. He saw someone who was made in the image of God. When Jesus looked at Zacchaeus, he saw somebody with gifts and abilities, with a purpose, On this earth. And this is demonstrated by the way that Jesus treated Zacchaeus. He looked up in the tree, he looked him in the eyes, and he said, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to your house. I wonder how did Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? Had he asked somebody about it? Did he know what Zacchaeus was about? Was it just because Jesus was full of the Spirit and he was kind of omniscient? Either way, when you call somebody by name, you're saying something about their value. You're saying, I care about you enough to know your name. And not only that, but Jesus went to this man's home. He said, I want to be intimate with you. I want to know you. I want to know where you live. I want to spend time with you. Yeah, I'm going to Jerusalem to save the world. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty busy and I have a lot of things going on. But I'm going to stop because I want to spend time with you. You see, the way that Jesus saw Zacchaeus changed everything for Zacchaeus. The way that Jesus saw Zacchaeus changed the way that Zacchaeus saw himself. In the way that Jesus saw Zacchaeus ultimately changed the way the entire community saw Zacchaeus. If you know the story, people heard what Jesus said and saw what Jesus did. So by the time that Jesus got to Zacchaeus' house, the rumors were starting to stir. Why is this rabbi, why is this holy person, why is Jesus going to spend time with this man who was a sinner? And I think maybe Zacchaeus heard it, or maybe Zacchaeus was just compelled by what Jesus had done, having that relationship with him, spending time with him, because Zacchaeus stood up, he spoke to Jesus, and he spoke to everyone. And he said, if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to pay it back four times. But even before that, I'm going to start by taking half of everything that I have and giving it to the poor. You see, before this, Zacchaeus had lost his sense of identity. Zacchaeus didn't know who he was. And he was willing to do whatever it took to take care of himself. Zacchaeus had lost his sense of purpose. You know, he was living completely for himself. He was meant to be, you know, a child of Abraham. He was meant to be a person in the Jewish community supporting the different people that were around him. He was meant to care for his neighbor, but he was taking advantage of his neighbor and he was taking care of himself. And I think he had lost his sense of belonging. You know, you can imagine Zacchaeus, he wasn't Roman. And so he was always despised by the Romans that he was working for, and he wasn't accepted by the Jews anymore because he had turned his back on them. He was a man who was truly alone. The only thing that he had in his life was the money that he could accumulate through theft. He had lost his belonging. He had lost his identity. He had lost his sense of purpose, but because of what Jesus did. And if you notice, Jesus didn't preach to him. Jesus didn't command him to, to turn away from his sin. All Jesus said was, "Zacchaeus, I see you. I'm coming to your house." Zacchaeus already knew. Zacchaeus knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he was missing things. He would have felt this and wrestled with this every day, but Zacchaeus didn't believe that he could change. Jesus's intimacy with him. Jesus looking at him and calling him down out of the tree changed the way that Zacchaeus saw himself and now Zacchaeus had hope. He had hope. You see when we look at someone who feels isolated, and we call them by name. When we spend time with someone who doesn't feel like they're deserving of time, when we invite somebody into community, we can share the hope of Jesus with those people. You know, you may be that person today. You may feel isolated. You may feel like, you know what? If you knew who I really was, you wouldn't love me. I want you to know Jesus knows who you are, and he loves you. You may feel like, you know what? If you knew what I had done, You wouldn't love me. I want you to know Jesus knows everything that you've done, and he still loves you enough to go to the cross for you. You know, you may feel like, you know what, the things that I care about are not important. I'm not important. Jesus thinks you are important. He wants to come and spend time with you. He loves you. He cares about you. You may feel like, you know what, Jesus only cares about like pastors or preachers or people who can sing well or do great things. Jesus cares about you and you have a unique purpose. You have a unique identity. He made you, and he loves you. He sees you, and he wants to spend time with you. And for those of you that already have that faith, for those of you who are nodding along, you have the ability to show that love to someone else. You see, the church needs more leaders to learn how to be personal, because too many kids feel invisible and ignored. We're living with a generation that has an epidemic, an epidemic of bullying, of isolation, of anxiety, of depression, and of suicide. Suicide, the suicide rate among young people is the highest that it's ever been. And it's on the rise because students feel isolated. They feel hopeless. And when we look someone in the eye and call them by name and tell them that we love them and that Jesus loves them, we can share the hope of Jesus with someone else we have an opportunity to change the world and it's not by being so smart it's not by knowing all of your bible it's not by being cool if i if it required being cool i would not be able to do it it's not about that it's about looking someone in the eye calling them by name and saying that you love them there's someone that needs you to see them you know that young person that's running amok in the gym that's got four donuts and you don't know how they're holding them all they need somebody to see them. That kid who's sulking over in the corner, who's scowling at the world, they need you to look through that scowl and see them. And that person that's isolated, that person who, that young person who's achieving in every area, and you know, and they believe in their heart, if they get one B on a test, or if they don't get the winning point, they're not worthy of your love, they need you to look at them and say, I love you no matter what. I love you on your best day, on your worst day. I'm gonna love you forever because that's how Jesus loved me And that's how I'm going to love you. I wanted to annoy you a little bit today. And so I put papers all over your pews. And so you had to shuffle them around and figure out what to do with them. Those are information cards. We have so many different opportunities in our church to create a relationship with a young person. And I hope that you hear me. It's not about the work. It's not about the curriculum. It's not about being a great communicator or being so smart or knowing everything. It's not about being good with kids. If you're If you have the love of Jesus in your heart and you're willing to show that love to another person, I want you on my team and I want to find out where we can, where we can set you up to have that relationship with a young person, where we can give you an opportunity to give a young person hope. I I just ask that you would fill that out and take it to Sandy out in the foyer and just start the conversation to find out where you can fit in, to find out where you can step into the life of a young person. But I understand some of you, you just can't do it. Because of the season of life that you're in or the things that are going on, you just can't do it. Uh, today, if you don't turn in one of those information cards, I'm just going to assume that you can't pass the background check. That's what I'm going to assume. That's all my friends. <laughs> no, but I get it. Some of you, it, it, you just really can't. Uh, you know, Some of you are visiting today for the very first time and you live in another city. I get it. You're not going to be able to show up consistently in the life of a young person. But there's something you can do. You know, in the same book, in the book of Luke, back in chapter 10, Jesus was talking to his disciples, to his followers. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's a whole generation that needs you, that needs someone to see them. But there are few people who are willing to step up. There are few people who are willing to take that risk, to get messy, to be personal. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. For some of you, you you just can't. The place that you're at right now, you can't step into the life of a young person, but you can pray. And so I want to ask you, would you take that card with you? I hope that the ushers don't have to pick up any of the cards today, because I hope that you'll take that with you, put it in your Bible, put it on your dashboard, put it somewhere in your house to remember to pray. There's a whole generation that's hurting that needs the love of Christ, that needs laborers to be willing to invest in their life, to go and meet with them, to look them in the eye and say, I love you and Jesus loves you. Would you pray that God would raise up laborers for the field?